Last week we learned of how God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is fashioning for himself an exceedingly great army. And what we saw was that God's purpose in all of this is to glorify his great name. That he took the dry bones and gave them resurrection power, breathed his spirit into them, stood them up on their feet, and then says to Ezekiel, look at what I will do. I will make them an exceedingly great army. In today's sermon, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this exceedingly great army in action as it marches forward, as it were, with Christ as its head. So if you'll turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, I'm actually going to begin reading uh, the very end of our text of Ezekiel so that you can see the flow of thought here about what this army is supposed to do in light of the New Testament truths. We're going to go from the end of chapter 37 in Ezekiel straight to uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and following. This is God's word. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, God made of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man who is like us in every way and yet without sin, that has provided a way for you to bless us. We pray, O Lord, that even as we exalt his name today, this one who has disarmed all of our enemies, O Lord, would you call us to greater allegiance to him and his cause. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Remember what Ezekiel said, uh, that the Lord said at the end of his vision. He says, and then you will know that I am the Lord. When I do this great thing that I've promised, then you will know that I am the Lord. And the saints of Ezekiel's day, what they had to do is they had to lay hold of this promise that God had made to save them, not knowing how exactly God would fulfill that promise. God said that He would raise them up, He'd forgive their sins, He would be their God and they would be His people, He would save a remnant, and on and on and on. But all they knew is that God had made a promise and that He was going to fulfill it. We, New Covenant Christians, see, we look back and we get to say, oh, that's what God was talking about. When God said that He would raise up a people for Himself, when He talks about the suffering servant, the one on whom the sin of the world would be laid and how our sin is on Him and His righteousness is going to be on us and He'd be born in Bethlehem and there'd be a King of David that sits on David's throne forever. We look back on the cross and we say, Christ, the Son of David, born in Bethlehem, took on the sin of the world and has fulfilled God's promise. So brothers and sisters, what Christ is doing in this passage is, as I mentioned last week, He is marching, as it were, at the head of this great army that God has stood on its feet. We know this because the whole point of the book of Colossians is to extol the greatness of Christ. This is in chapter 1 where we hear that God is the, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. In Him all things were created. In Him dwell all deity, etc., etc. And so when Paul writes to these Colossians, he wants this army of God to know that they are not alone. But the interesting thing about this passage is when we think of armies, we think of fights, right? We think of wars. We think of conquering and those sorts of things. And what's interesting in the way that Paul talks about our fight is that it is none of those things. In fact, Paul says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places, etc. The fight isn't against some earthly enemy that the Israelites could go conquer now that God was going to restore them. No, our fight is against the very spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. And so what does it mean then for a Christian to be part of that fight? This army of God, what are they supposed to do? It's very interesting that Paul says a few things in this letter. It echoes what he says elsewhere in his epistles. Look at the verse 6. Just as you receive Christ, the first command he gives us is to walk in Christ. That seems pretty simple. People of God, because Christ has secured your salvation, you don't need to go fight the world. You need to walk 
in Christ. We're supposed to walk with faith and abounding in thanksgiving. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say that another thing we're supposed to do is to not get distracted. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And the historical reference here is the Colossians somehow had, you know, they're in Christ, but commentators seem to think that there was a a Jewish kind of a syncretism going on where some people were preaching to the Colossians, you know, Christianity's pretty great and that's really neat that you got Jesus, but you know, you really ought to follow the festivals. You really ought to be sort of ascetic. You, You really need to fast in order to be saved, that sort of thing. And Paul says, don't don't get distracted with that. Don't let anybody take you captive. That is to captivate you, to change your mind. Don't let them take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Why? Because that's according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And so we see that we're supposed to walk in Christ. And we're supposed to not get distracted. That is the entire message of this passage. To walk in Christ as this army that God has made for the sake of his great name. And to not be distracted. Well, if we're going to do that, we've got to understand how is this going to work out. Because you and I both know that it's not like the spiritual forces in the heavenly places just sit back and say, well, great, the Christians are coming. We're going to go ahead and stand down. That's not how it is, right? These are spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Satan is called the prince and the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world. Rulers don't like to be toppled. So brothers and sisters, it's a bit ironic that Paul says the way to fight this spiritual battle is to walk in Christ and not get distracted. Well, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Paul gives us every reason to believe that that is our path, not because we are going to have the ability to fight off the spiritual war ourselves, but because the one who is our head has already secured the victory. I want you to uh, listen to these words. You remember last week where Ezekiel, uh, he talked about that God's going to do this and then I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to bring your bones together and I'm going to take you out of the land and put you where you belong and I, 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 so that you will know that I am the Lord. And look what Paul says. Verse 9. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also were you circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead And at the end, he tells us that we're going to triumph over, that Christ triumphs over his enemies, that God the Father triumphs over his enemies in Christ, just as we are in Christ. 
in him. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to save you. And when I do, people, I want you to know that I am the Lord and your, your army that has been stood up is for my great name is what the Lord says in Ezekiel 7. And here in Colossians 2, Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, this army fights. Let's talk about what it means to be in Christ For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now remember, Paul's writing to the Colossians, to, that's his primary message. Christ is God, he's the fullness of God, and there's no competitor to God. And what Paul says here is that in him, Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then look what he says in verse 10. And you have been filled in him. In Christ dwells all the fullness of God bodily, and you are in Christ, and you are filled in Him. That's how we fight the spiritual battles. Our weak need uh, attempts at fighting off this world's foes are nothing. We will fail every time. But the thing is, we are in Christ and we've been given the very fullness of the power of God by virtue of our union with Christ. In verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Christ's circumcision, that is Christ's ability to throw away sin or to throw off sin, to obey God perfectly, is the circumcision that you and I get, which Paul calls a circumcision that's made without hands. We read earlier from Romans chapter 6, and this is where Paul talks about, in Romans 6 and 7, about the old man having to be cast out. And there's this old thing, this body of death, he calls it, that has to be cast out so that we can put on the new man. The sin has to be circumcised away from us, as it were, so that we can put on Christ and we participate in his circumcision. And then verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now this is powerful stuff here. It's not just that when we're baptized, we somehow identify with Christ. That we're doing this thing that, yes, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and, and we're, we're following his example. That's part of it. But what Paul wants us to know is that there's power going on there. Paul says that when Christ was baptized, when he was laid, as it were, to death, when he was raised again, that's the baptism he's talking about, the baptism into his death. And so when we identify with Christ's baptism, his death, we also get his resurrection. Look what it says again in verse 12. In which you were also raised with Christ through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You see, do you guys catch the the connection to last week, how we talked about how the gospel is that there's, the gospel starts with some really bad news that we're all dead in our trespasses, just like the dread, the dead dry bones on the surface of the valley. And we're dead, and when God acts upon us by his spirit, by speaking his word, that God raises us up. And what Paul wants us to know is that that raising up is not just standing, uh, standing on our own two feet. We are raised up as Christ was raised from the resurrection of the dead. Brothers and sisters, you and I, by our participation, our union with Christ, are the dead that have come to life. We identify with Christ. Our union with Christ doesn't mean that we're just forgiven. It means that we're forgiven unto our righteousness and we one day will be glorified as Christ himself is glorified. As Paul writes, by the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Back to the the battle motif, the exceedingly great army. Look how Paul talks about what God is doing through his people. Verse 13 and following, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? Verse 14, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The battle that you and I are fighting isn't a battle to overcome these uh, princes and powers of the air, the spiritual forces in the dark places. That is a battle that we fight, but we fight it knowing that Christ has conquered. How did he conquer? How is it that Paul in a minute is going to say that Christ has disarmed those very same rulers that Paul elsewhere has said is the one that we're fighting with? How did Jesus disarm the powers of this world? Interesting. Look what he says. Christ disarmed those who would fight against us the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You see, brothers and sisters, the spiritual forces in the heavenly places, you know what their method is, right? It's to discourage you and me. It's to say, look how big a sinner you are. There's no way that you're going to be this exceedingly great army that God has promised. And you and I both in our hearts, we say, yeah, that's about right. There is no way. We are lost and without hope in this world. You see, but what Christ did by canceling the debt that stood against us for sin is he took the arrows out of Satan's hand And he neutered him 
so that he is unable to thwart God's people. He disarmed the rulers and authority. He did this by nailing it to the cross. Because we know in the cross that Christ has taken upon us all of our sin, which means that he paid the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, using Paul's language. And what that means is it's paid in full. There's nothing else that anybody can hold against us. Isn't that why Paul can say in Romans, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he goes on to say, I'm convinced that neither this, nor this, nor this, nor this, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Because God has forgiven us in Christ by nailing our sin to the cross, canceling the debt. And it gets better. In verse 15, Paul uh, uses this language of this conquering army. Look what he says. He disarmed, that is, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. A custom of uh, warfare is that when you conquer your enemy, it's customary, at least at this time, to parade the enemy through your capital city, all dejected and, you know, conquered and brought down, stripped naked, whatever it is, to the most humiliating thing you possibly could do to them, to send the message that these people are done. That's what Christ did to our enemies. Christ paraded these rulers of the cosmic powers, those who are against the people of God, those who would stand up and raise their fist at God and His people, and He has put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ. You and I, brothers and sisters, are part of this great army. God has promised that He would raise an army. He has raised us as the people of God by canceling the debt against us, has defeated the the, uh, enemy. And what He calls us to do is to walk forward. Earlier in his letter, Paul says that the, the task of the Christian life of this army is to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. It echoes Micah chapter 6 who says, you know, he asks this question, what does God require of you? It's to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You see, you and I get to keep our heads down and, and, and march forward. I imagine this army marching forward across Jordan to someday reach the promised land and we're getting assaulted from within and without, and yet we do it with our head down, and we're saying we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We're going to walk in Christ. We're going to be built up in Him, established in the faith. We're going to be thankful, and we're not going to let anybody take us captive. Now, what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? How about we believe 
truly embrace this idea that Christ has conquered all of our enemies, that he has canceled the debt so we can live in the gospel, living a manner, living a life worthy of our, of our calling, is to truly believe that our sin is forgiven and that, as Paul says, we've been made sins not, or slaves not of sin, but we're now slaves of righteousness. We can walk forward in this world knowing that Christ has conquered our enemies. Christ has secured all that we need. Our job then, as we said last week, uh, Ezekiel's admonition to us is to know the Lord. And we talked about what that could mean. And here it's to walk in Christ. Don't get distracted. And brothers and sisters, I'll put before you, I believe what that means is that we need to maintain this union with Christ. We don't go on our own way. We don't get God's forgiveness and then we somehow kind of figure it out on our own. We maintain this union with Christ by doing even as we did this morning, reminding ourselves of the gospel. Because isn't it true that we need the debt to be canceled? And brothers, when you're forgiven, you can walk forward in peace, knowing that there's nothing against you anymore. We're to bear good fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, not to get distracted, and to walk in Him. And so I ask you this morning to Reflect upon your own lives. Where is it that you have lost your way? Where your union with Christ is strained? Where maybe you've, uh, if you're like me, you tend to sort of take things into your own hands. And you don't remember that God's the one who's doing the fight. That He's the victorious one. That my victory and your victory is not in Ken or in Sally or in Bob, but in Christ. And so we maintain our union with Christ and let us not get distracted. There's lots of things in this world that distract us every day. Let us not get distracted by things that that seem like they could satisfy. Only you know what those things are. It could be your family life, it could be your kids, it could be politics, it could be your bank account, it could be your self-righteousness, it could be all kinds of stuff. But that would be getting you distracted. Brothers and sisters, all we have to do is embrace Christ, maintain this union with Him, not get distracted, and we just march behind Him because He has secured the victory and has disarmed the rulers, and authority, and put them to open shame. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that uh, you are a God who we trust. You are a God who makes promises and keeps them. Lord, we are a people who are weak and we make promises and we break them. Yet because you loved us and because of 
your passion for the glory of your great name, and because you have desired to raise up a people to the praise of your glorious grace, you found a way to be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ, and you have canceled the debt that stood against us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that we are his brethren, that we inherit all of the promises that he has, that we inherit his uh, righteous inheritance as the very son of God, even as Paul described, that we get even the resurrection life that he has. And so we pray, O God, even as we tarry in this life and this cosmic victory that has been won, we cannot yet see with our own eyes. I pray for strength to do what Paul admonishes us to do, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, to walk in Christ, and to not get distracted by those things that would take us off our course. We thank you for Christ, our victorious Savior, and we pray that we one day would find our rest, and we thank you for the promise that one day we will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.